In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The baptism of Jesus has troubled many Christians over the centuries, right? Because Jesus is not a sinner. And if Jesus is not a sinner, why does he need to receive the baptism of John for the forgiveness of sins? And so sometimes it has been taught that Christ is baptized as an example for us. But I think if we read the text itself, that explanation is lacking. The heavens open up, God speaks, the Holy Spirit descends, just because Jesus is providing us an example. Jesus' baptism is highlighted in all four of the Gospels. And so it certainly seems to be given more attention and more weight than simply Jesus providing us an example of what we should do. And sometimes it's explained that Jesus' baptism represents a kind of beginning to his ministry. This, again, seems to fall short as far as explanations go. The Gospels recognize that what Jesus has come to do has begun even at his conception. Matthew and Luke both recognize the importance of Jesus' birth. Jesus' baptism may in some ways be a beginning, but the importance of the event is not limited to being some kind of launch party. So what is going on with Jesus' baptism? Well, I think we can get to the point quickly. What is going on is that Jesus is being baptized as a sinner in our stead, in our place. Now, we know that Jesus has no sin of his own. He is entirely holy. He's perfect. Jesus is God. He cannot sin. But as we heard in last week's gospel, Jesus has come to be born under the law. The one above the law, the lawgiver himself, submits himself to the law. And so in his baptism, what Jesus is doing is he's making our sin his own. He is taking our place under the law. Jesus here is identifying with us sinners as he submits to the law's demands. And more than just identifying with us sympathetically, Jesus is identifying with us by confessing our sin for us and making it his own. He is taking it for us. And so what we see is that in his baptism, Jesus here becomes the Lamb of God who is bearing the sin of the world. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. When Jesus is baptized, he is baptized for all of us sinners. His baptism then makes our baptisms more than just a ritual, more than just a symbol. In our baptisms, we're becoming one with him. And he makes an exchange for us, what Martin Luther called the happy exchange. We receive Christ's righteousness, and he takes our sin from us. And our readings this morning give us an idea of how this happens. Consider, for example, Genesis chapter 1. Before creation, there is nothing. Formless void, darkness, the deep, all of which are ways to recognize the nothingness that was before creation. And this is language given to nothingness because we cannot comprehend nothingness. If you try to do it, you will break your brain, so I don't recommend it. We've never experienced nothingness. We're part of creation. We always know something. So we're, we're not able to reason it out. 
But what Genesis tells us is that God spoke into the nothingness. He said, let there be light, and there was light. This verse, and in fact all of Genesis 1, is showing us something and teaching us something about God's word. That God's word is a word that does something. God's word is always connected to God's deeds. His word performs. It acts. When God says, let there be light, there is light. When God says, let there be water and earth, there is water and earth. When God says, let there be Ryan Cordell, there is Ryan Cordell. All of that exists. All that is reality rests upon God speaking it into existence. And so even creation itself now is sustained because God speaks it. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Magician's Nephew, which is the prequel to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a beautiful scene in which the protagonist's children get to observe Aslan the lion creating the world of Narnia. So the lion, who symbolizes Christ in Lewis's series, sings a deep, haunting, beautiful, familiar song. And as he sings, life begins to pop up and take shape in Narnia. And so it is, and so it was in our world. God's voice brings all into being. His word is what forms what is real. In fact, his word defines reality. God's word itself is power. And so we notice that God's word is distinct from our words. Because like Adam in the Garden of Eden... Adam gets to name the animals that are brought to him. Right? He names what already exists. And that's the same with our words. We name things that already are. We use our words, we use language in a descriptive sense. We can call a thing that exists a name. Right? The thing in front of me right now is a pulpit. But me calling it a pulpit does not mean my word made it a pulpit. But that's not how God's word works. God's word speaks, and it is. God's word doesn't describe, it makes. Psalm 29 gives us great imagery to understand this point. And I noticed, not to embarrass him, but Troy stumbled over verse 1, right? Ascribe to the Lord you gods. Ascribe to the, we, we don't believe in gods, so that's a hard verse to read. But this is going to be a key difference in the psalm. What's the difference between the one true God and between all the other false gods and the idols in our world? Well, the one true God has a word. The one true God speaks, and it is. The idols of this world are dumb. They don't speak. They sit there. And we name them things, and we call them things. But that's not God. God is the one who speaks and makes real. And so when the psalmist says, the voice of the Lord is a powerful voice. The voice of the Lord is a voice of splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedar trees. The voice of the Lord bursts forth in lightning flashes. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The psalmist isn't saying that God has a voice so deep and loud that it shakes the windows of our houses like speakers with the bass set too high. What we're being told is that the voice of the Lord acts. The voice of the Lord brings reality. What the voice of the Lord says is. And so notably, in the baptism of Christ, the voice of the Lord comes from heaven and says, you are my son, 
the beloved with you, I am well pleased. And so we want to pay attention to the reality that God is bringing forth with his voice here. Jesus is and was and always will be God's son. From eternity, God was always speaking this word to his son, with you I am well pleased. That's not meant to be surprising to us. But we, what we are meant to pay attention to is the fact that God's word is making a promise to his son. The son who has come to take on the sins of the world. Christ takes on our sins. He takes our place as a sinner. He is baptized like a sinner in our stead. And the Father confirms the reality of what Christ has come to do. He makes this declaration, with you, I am well pleased. He says that to the Son. But more to the point, he says this to the one who is bearing your sin. And so now here is what must hit home for us. What God's word confirms in the moment of Jesus' baptism also makes a reality for you. Jesus stood in your place at that moment in the Jordan River. Just as on Good Friday he will take your place on the cross, and on Easter Sunday he will guarantee you a place of resurrection, when God here says, with you I am well pleased, he's bringing forth a new reality for you. He says these words to you through Christ. With you, God is well pleased. Now to be clear, he's not well pleased with you because you're a wonderful person. He's not well pleased with you because how righteous you are. God is well pleased with you right now because Jesus has made a great exchange with you. And so when you were baptized, you were given that powerful word. When you were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, God wasn't just describing something about you. He wasn't giving you a new name in the sense that Adam named the animals. Instead, God's word was creating you anew. He was making you a new creature in the image of Christ. And the word that said, let there be light in Genesis 1, said you are made new at your baptism. The word said you are no longer to be known by your father, the old Adam, the sinner. Instead, you are now known by the new Adam, Jesus Christ, the holy. In baptism, you are made a new creature. And because of Jesus Christ who took your place, God has given you new life. And so God says to all of us, I am well pleased with you. Amen.